I want to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location at 5 Market Street in the college hipster town of Northampton on Western Massachusetts. These are two amazing stores to go buy vinyl, both new and used, and a lot of other cool stuff too. It's hard to walk in either locale without walking out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. And if you can't find what you're looking for in the retail shops, check out joesalbums.com. They got everything there, man. Everything. Well, maybe not everything, but almost everything. Joe's albums. We love them and you will too. Check out Joe's stores and tell them Twisted Rico sent you. Baby Loves Tacos proudly supports the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast. Since 2016, we've been serving soulful whole Mexican style food out of a tiny storefront. 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh. Um, we believe in supporting the arts, community-based initiatives, and podcasts like Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico because uh, they add a richness and vibrancy to our lives, uh, help to connect people, build community, and uh, demonstrate that following your, your dreams and your passions and holding on to relationships and spreading the love and support that we hear so much about on the podcast uh, is, is really the only way to combat um, the ever-changing world where big businesses and corporations are uh, squeezing out the small guy. So if you haven't already subscribed, if you don't support via Patreon, um, or any of the other platforms, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's a real privilege to listen to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico, and it's a privilege to to hear the stories about um, you know Steve's experiences with many bands, uh, promoting, managing, and the really awesome stories from his guests. Something I look forward to every week, sometimes twice a week. And, um, you know, my life would be very different if I didn't have Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico to look forward to. All right, take care.
Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host that can neither surf nor bowl, Steve Ricardo. That was Quest Fortuna with She Can't Surf, But She Can Sure Bowl. That was recorded in 1989, produced by Sean Slade at Fort Apache. Quest Fortuna consisted of Jay Allen on vocals and guitar, Justine Kovalt on bass and vocals, Mark Gilmore on guitar and vocals, and Evan Schur on drums. That's right, Muck from Muck in the Myers on the drums. That tune took 32 years to get released, but was released finally in July 2021 by Red on Red Records. Today, we're going to hear the whole Quest for Tuna story from the leader of that band, Mr. Jay Allen, who joins us on the show. So hang on yourself, and we'll play that conversation that Jay and I had shortly. It's a good one. You don't want to miss it. And we are back. As you'll soon hear us talk about, Jay brought up attending Boston University and living on campus right down the street from Kenmore Square. We're talking about the Kenmore Square of the 80s, which is a lot different than the current Kenmore Square. The 80s version of Kenmore Square is where you could go see many great bands on any given night at the Rat or Storyville or even across the street at Narcissist. Never thought I'd be talking about Narcissist again, but... Yes, it was part of that Kenmore Square club scene. I remember the first time I went to one of those bars. It was The Rat. It was New Year's Eve, 1982. The outlets were playing. It was the first time I saw a band that I would later sign a few years later to Restless Enigma. And from that point on, it was a regular start for me and my friends at WDJM, our college radio station at Framingham State, to venture into Kenmore Square and sometimes see as many as six bands bands at night, bouncing back and forth between Rat and Storyville. Man, those were the days. And I remember many of the bands and shows from those days. I'm just going to rattle some of them off. Dangerous Birds, because I saw them so many times. Limbo Race, November Group, The Dark, Boys Life, The Daughters, Lou Miami, The Trademarks, Angry Young Bees, The Lifters, The Neats, Digny Thickness. That's right. The Sex Execs, they were one of our favorites. Thrills, Del Fuegos, Classic Ruins, Turbines, Liars, Dogmatics, Till Tuesday, before that, The Young Snakes, and so many more. There were so many good shows back then. And of course, we're, you know, we're also going over to the channel for the heavier shows and Jumpin' Jack Flash for other shows. And when I moved to L.A., 
1983, at the end of 1983, I was still able to come back and see shows in Kenmore Square. And I would generally set up shop at Hoodoo Barbecue upstairs from the Rat, hang out there all day and basically see everyone I needed to see in the Boston music scene because that was the place. There were there are no more places like that anywhere where you can go and find everyone you're looking for. Storyville also had its own unique character to it. And, you know, believe it or not, kids, Kenmore Square used to be cool. All right, check this out. We'll be right back. Attention, guitar players. I know you're out there listening. Stomp Underfoot are handmade guitar pedals by fuzz-obsessed Matt Pascarella. Matt makes every pedal using new old stock obsolete and rear through hole components. Every pedal is also entirely hand wired, tested and ready to go. If you want a high quality handmade pedal, check out Stomp Underfoot at stompunderfoot.com. So the one and only Malibu Lou over Rumbar Records, one of the coolest dudes around, uh, has been a big supporter of this show since day one. Um, Lou suggested I have Jay Allen on, and I'm glad. I'm glad he did, and I'm glad I listened to him. So what do you say we listen to this interview right now? Because it's a blast talking to Jay Allen. Okay. So. Um, Hi Jay. Hey, how are you? Good. Can you tell can you tell my listeners uh where you grew up and when you started listening to music? Did you start listening at a really young age? So I, I'm not originally from the from the Boston area. I grew up in uh, Trent, New Jersey and across the uh, Delaware River in Yardley, Pennsylvania, uh, where I went to high school and uh basically came up here in 1981. Uh, to go to Boston University, and kind of, kind of, kind of the mo- the 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 moment changing day for me was uh, my then next door neighbor in, at BU, Evan Shore, Muck on the Myers, said, "Let's go see the Ramones at 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 at, uh, at, at Metro," and Classic Ruins opens, and uh, and one four five, and so wow. it was just kind of like. Kind of, kind of like, wow, the, you know. So I like, I knew the Ramones, and I was, you know, I was into music, but it was more like kind of classic rock, you know, you know. Although I was like an Elvis Costello fan as well, and uh, you know, Joe Jackson, that and that and that kind of stuff. But uh, all of a sudden, the Ramones kind of like, okay, this is what I, this is where I belong. So and then, uh, and we both had uh, fake IDs that worked, so we were able to. OC local music, we, you know, we kind of went to the rat like a couple weeks later because Plus Bruins were playing again, so and it all kind of started there. And and actually, that that year, BU had like this great series going on. And it was only like the first semester, but like classic Boston rock bands playing at the Student Union on a Friday night. You know, the Liars, the Neats, the Outlets, Boys Life. So we got a chance to see all those all those great bands then, and just kind of kind of fell in love with the whole the whole Boston rock scene. So. I think I might have been in a few of those rooms while you were there at some <laughs> of those shows because that's yeah. why it was around that time in the early 80s that I got into all the Boston bands. So Evan 
Muck himself was your next door neighbor in college. You guys were in school together. Yeah. So we basically kind of met that first week, you know, and we're, we lived in Warren Towers, which is, you know, if people don't know, it's 1600 person, three pronged dormitory on Tom Ave right outside of Kenmore Square. So, and of course, in 1981, Kenmore Square was the home for Boston oh, yeah. Rock, you know, between yeah. the Rat and Storyville and Jumping Jack Flash down the street and, and, uh, you know, you know, Pizza Pad and Captain Nemo's and, uh, you know, so it's Mr. Butch, you know, so, uh, and we were, we were roommates for another eight years after that until we, I, we joke about, cause we're still best pals today. And like, you know, like our divorce, you know, cause I moved in with a girlfriend at the time, you know, so, but, uh, but uh, you know, that was, that was 30 years ago, but, uh, Sounds like you're a pretty good historian for Kenmore Square, man. You covered, yeah, yeah. You covered all the bases. I used to go back and forth from that to Storyville like every weekend. when I was going to Framingham State while you were at BU. Yeah. And um, I would go there and, you know, we would go there and we would just go back and forth, you know, because we were on the radio station. We were able to get on the guest oh. list. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see like six bands easy in, in, in a night, you know. But of course, covers there were like two or three dollars. Sometimes, yeah, like yeah, it was cheap, yeah. cheap, real cheap. So you kind of brushed right over Trenton. Did you like it? Were you listening to any music when you were younger, like classic rock or anything? Or well, yeah, I mean, you know, so there was like the Philly station. So WMMR was on all the big time. station. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so you know, kind of, you know, you know, not not as progressive as a BCN was here at that at that same time you know, you know, ultimately like the same, same ownership and everything like that, but or actually not because they were YSP was the, uh, the, the Viacom CBS affiliate in Philly, but, you know, and, and basically kind of right about that time is when city gardens opened up in Trenton. I was going to ask you about city gardens. Did you so make I was it there? Kind of up here. So I've been, went to a few shows there when I, and it, and probably it was probably like a senior in high school when, when like they had, you know, they would have, have some punk rock shows, uh, 90 cent dance nights, but, but pretty much, uh, you know, I was up here. So, you know, I, I, th I saw the Ramones there, I think twice. Uh, I saw beginning of four there, like, you know, and again, it'd be like a holiday weekend or something like that. I'd be home. But, uh, so I kind of, you know, city gardens heyday in the early to mid eighties, I, I, I was basically up here already. So I kind of, kind of miss that you know so but uh but what were you going to be you to school for uh school management so i was a i was a business major so for in my eyes it was sort of the the path of least resistance to to getting a degree so did you get your degree yeah so i got my you know i graduated in 85 we both did you know myself and evan and sophomore year is when our sophomore year is when we met justine who was a freshman at the time so uh you know, her and Evan started dating. Not to not to go into, uh, uh, you know. So that's that's how that's basically how I met Justine. You know, so she was basically going out with my best friend. So, and she had come out from Michigan, right? Yeah, she she was from Michigan. Yeah. For for the listeners that know don't know who we're talking, we're talking about Justine Kovalt, which we're going to probably be talking about a lot. Yeah. Uh, in this conversation, so Evan was going out with Justine. I mean, were you were you guys all playing together yet? No, I mean Justine hadn't really started to play yet. Uh, it was you know a couple of years later she started playing with Moose and the Mudbugs, and then and then you know so Evan and I were playing in Quest for Tuna. 
we we started that back in uh, you know, I I I happen to have the cassette tape next to me from uh, that we recorded wow, back. Wow, that's cool, man. That's cool. If you're watching people, it, it look cool. If you're <laughs> listening, you'll have to go on YouTube and, yeah. and watch it. <laughs> yeah. So so what was the original? Was that your first band? Yeah. So that was my first band. So the original lineup, I was actually on drums. Evan played guitar, and Mark Gilmore, who basically still with us, uh, was played bass. And he was our sophomore year. He was our out, mine and Evan's next door neighbor in, in Warren Towers, and another friend of from our floor, Charlie Von Simpson, was the singer. And uh, Charlie went to school abroad the second year, so we kind of shifted things around, and I started playing guitar and singing, and. Uh, and we had another roommate, Pete, started playing drums. And that's how what how Quest Returner was for a couple of years. Pete moved away to New Jersey. And then we sort of did like a full lineup switch where Evan went behind the drum set. Mark went from uh, bass to guitar. And we and that's when Justine joined the band. That was 86. So. That's a real interchangeable band right there. <laughs> so I, I always think, you know, you know, Joey Ramone started playing with the original drummer in the Ramones. So, yeah. I, 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 I was, I guess, say self-styled. Like I couldn't really play drums, so I was better off just being the being the singer. So, right, <laughs> kind of like, kind of like Joey. Uh, the the demo that you or the tape that you held up. I mean, that's not the one you recorded in '89, is it? Yeah. So that's that's the '89 recording. So, Justine, I mean, eventually we were, we were going to release all the all four songs and we actually talked about doing a cassette just for because there are people still hanging around you know who, who knew us back in the day who who still have that cassette you know and they you know, they'll post like pictures of hey here are all my local band cassettes from like the 80s and 90s and and they'll, they'll invariably have a quest for tuna cassette in there <laughs> so we you know obviously we had talked about that and you know uh but she did release two songs uh, off of, uh, out of the four on on her label you mean so, re, you mean within the last few years yeah and those are those are like the original recorded we remastered i mean you know you know uh people that i worked with with the with jay allen the arch criminals uh matt alexander uh you know we did we worked at both q division and woolly mammoth with him and he he was able to take i had the original masters and he was able you, basically what you have to do is you have to kind of bake them in an oven so that so to kind of preserve them because if you try and re, if you try and run them the, the chances of them to just, just break breaking and was it just, two inch tape or a dad tape or what was it? it it was uh it was uh i think it was a half inch reel was so half it, was, inch it, was already, reel. it was kind of already mass mix and masters that's that's the only thing i had i don't think i had i don't think i was ever able to get the uh the the probably probably inch reel tape at that time let, let's go back for a second because you recorded at Fort Apache, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's like pretty amazing. That had to be a really Sean Slade. Yeah, Sean Slade. Yep. So that was Fort Apache when they were still in Roxbury. Oh. And, uh, okay. Uh, and the the thing I would always it, and it's it's when I think back about recording there, you know, when it's you know, it was. I don't. I can't even recall if it was eight track or sixteen track, but you know, you're bumping things down because you, you know, you, you can only have, you know, there's, you, you know, so you only have so many tracks to play with. It's not like these days where you have an infinite amount. And and the the first single that Justine released, she can't serve a shortcut bowl. 
like we recorded bowling sounds. So if you wanted to put a bowling sound on a, on a record these days, you know, it would take you like three seconds to find this, the sound effect on the, uh, uh, you know, on the internet, you know, it would take like, you know, but it, this was in my head and fortunately Sean goes, wait a second. And he takes out a sound effect record, you know, a vinyl record of sound effects that had, you know, the, just the ball rolling down the aisle and knocking down the pins. And, and, and so he, we cut that into the tape. So I, I'm, it, to me, it just kind of shows the evolution of, of recording you know, from 1989 to, you know, 2023, you know, so. But. Back in 1989, how did you find out about Ford Apache or just, I mean, did you ever go see the sex execs and did you know those guys or? I, mean, I didn't really know them. I think it was, it was more, uh, I'm not sure if, you know, because in that, in those days, Evan was with the Voodoo Dolls. Justine right. had Grand Theft Auto going on. So Evan and Mark were in the Voodoo Dolls. <laughs> so I think we just kind of knew and we just kind of booked the time. You know, I don't, I don't think we met, I had met Sean before that, uh, you know, and I, I always kind of considered it, you know, kind of a brush with greatness that, you know, that great whole record that him and Paul Caldery, uh, you know, produced like, you know, well, you know, he also, had, you know, I told people, oh, he also has Quest for Tuna on his resume as well. You know, just, you know, just, <laughs> you know. So how long was Quest for Tuna together for? Well, in in ninety two, uh, Mark Gilmore, uh, him and his wife Marcia moved to uh, Los Angeles. Well, now wife, I don't think they were married at that point. Both to go to go to graduate school. So Mark went to UCLA and to get his master's and PhD in like electrical engineering and plasma physics. I was like, I don't even know what that is, you know, and, and, like. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a dopey guy that sells blues for a living for the last 40 years, but, uh, you know, and, uh, but, you know, so he, he, he so we kind of ended the band then there's actually the quest for Tuna's last show is actually part of the road to ruin, uh, YouTube series. that's oh, yeah. out there. You can, I mean, it, the audio's Billy Ruane. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. Pretty indecipherable, but they're, you know, but if, if you want to see like, Boston bands at the Middle East, you know, touring bands as well, you know, early 90s, you know, early to mid 90s, the Road to Ruim YouTube channel, you know, has, has a, you know, millions Fantastic. of Fantastic. So that show happens to be up there. So what what did you do after uh, Quest for Tuna? So, so basically with, with everybody else in Quest for Tuna, with their other projects, uh, you know, basically, you know, like I said, Justine had Grand Theft Auto, uh, which are, was her own. She led that band and and then sort of, you know, she had started playing with, with some of the girls in Malachite that would evolve into Malachite. And Evan and Mark had the voodoo dolls. I and I actually I met Sandy Monticello, who had seen a Quest for Tuna show and she came up to me and, and she says, like, what are you playing again? And Sandy's now Sandy Needs. Uh, right, Barry name, uh, and she was like, "Well, I go well. Quest for Tune doesn't really play that much because you know the other guys have everyone else has their own bands." She goes, "Well, have you thought about starting your own band?" So I just started playing with Sandy, and uh, and eventually that evolved into a band called Thumb Cramp. Originally, my idea was I wanted to front a band of all all girls, and and you know, <laughs> might not be that PC these days, but uh. 
but I wanted to call it Jay and his bitches. And the, my bitches would be the backup band, you know, and every girl that I, you know, you know, and, you know, we're talking rock and roll girls. So they were, you know, all strong, independent minded women who, who, who were in on the joke, but we can never kind of find all the right pieces. So we sort of never went to, uh, I could never find a female drummer that, that would work. I was probably like three or four years too early. If you think like, like, you know, Malachite breaking through or like, all of a sudden, a lot more women wanted to be musicians, wanted to play in rock bands, and you know didn't want to just be uh, followers. They wanted to they wanted to pick up guitar and pick up drums and and play. I probably would have had a better time at it, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a few years. A, a yeah. few years later. But that evolved into Thumb Cramp, and uh, like the initial versions of Thumb Cramp, Emily Grogan also played guitar with me. Oh, nice, Danny Emily, and uh, uh friend bars who moved to uh new york adam donius who was you know pals with me and evan but so that was kind of the original fun cramp lineup and it sort of evolved. we had a, a, a few different guitar players but that sort of ran its course by like 92 uh you know before you before you continue i want to ask you about malachite since yeah. we're going to talk about justine i i was not a i was living in california and i only I received a demo tape and because I was working at a label, but I, it was that it was actually the second version of the band. Did you ever see the first version of Malachite? The original? Yeah. I mean, you know, Justine and I were, were, you know, had remained friends, uh, you know, all throughout, you know, so, so I saw like, you know, I, I forget, uh, they had a, they a bass player singer spore if you remember that band kind of oh yeah movie. yeah yeah so the girl that was a singer and bass player in spore uh she, she was like kind of the original bass player and i think you know janet had had started playing with justine you know they did i i think you might even had read recently on out on facebook some of the stories you know they did a a, a bags a f- all-female bags tribute band called the hags which i think oh that must have been cool which was gay Janet and Justine and they probably I'm mean, yeah so they did it as a, as a three piece and uh and in my head and I'm not even sure if this happened you know uh I think some cramp played like its last show like a Halloween show with the hags but I'm when I'm not I'm not I'm not sure I, I wouldn't <laughs> not swear to that but I'm pretty sure that happened <laughs> we'll just say it happened yeah exactly and uh you know, and that kind of evolved into Malachite. So I ended up, so in spring of 93, I ended up moving into the Malachite house. So it was me, uh, Linnea the singer, Justine, Gay the drummer, and Gay's mom, which was, which was weird. Uh, so, uh, and then like a month or two later, Janet moved in. So it was basically, I was living with the four Malachite girls. Wow. <laughs> which was like a, a sitcom in, in and of itself and and trust me it was uh you know and that was sort of their road to to the rumble uh finals uh was 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 basically right right around that same time you know so they all <coughs> you know and that that only lasted for a few months because uh when they decided to leave leave boston leave the band so they were that's when they sort of uh uh Nancy Fenera and Jen Cobran. Yeah. 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 So yeah. 
and so basically they added another guitar player yeah uh chan on bass so justine could could uh you know well actually i guess they were both playing guitar at that point so and kind of the little rock and roll world is that at that time evan and nancy were a couple and it's actually evan who proposed nancy to to start singing with malachite <coughs> Wow, I didn't know about that. Evan yeah. and Nancy Finera. Yeah. Late so, Nancy rest, rest Finera. Peace, yeah. I got to know Nancy uh, fairly well. She's really yeah. cool. And uh, and uh, that so ended you, up not, not really working out because, you know, Nan Nancy and Justine Janning Gay didn't, didn't mesh as, <laughs> as well. So, so the, that it happens. That and, and uh, so let's get back to your story. I okay. just had I had to ask about Malachite because I was, I've got that one demo, and I was there's yeah. there's such a, a you know they're legendary in their own way that band you know yeah um, they had they had a lot of potential you know uh, I know they they had a lot of plans they were going to go to Chicago and before we'd see Albini you know so they had you know but they just. Things happen, you know, things fell apart on both ends. And then then they decided to just do a trio called Swank. Yeah, then, I remember Swank ended up on Curve of the Earth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what were you doing? So so I basically was kind of, uh, after Thumb Cramp ended, I was kind of free for like a year. And then uh, my Sandy and, and Brian Snyder, who, and Brian was the last, uh, guitar player and thumb cramp who had basically decided they want to do thumb cramp anymore came to me like a year and a half later and they were like we had we've been working some songs you know do you want to work with you want to do stuff with us and i said i i uh, i said okay and then that's that was bosley and i so remember we, bosley yeah so you know you probably you booked bosley at the Linwood, probably the last show so we, we had bosley had like a five-year run you know we were kind of uh the Darkbuster crowd had kind of uh, adopted us. Darkbuster had adopted us, but we we kind of ended our our run like probably, I you know probably a few months before uh, before Darkbuster kind of rocketed. You know that would be around two thousand. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, so, two thousand. Yeah, so they were just starting to become big, like like in '98 when we we ended. We you know I think our last. Show, Last show, you probably booked us, booked us at the Linwood. That's right. When I wow, that's amazing. I I just I remember that now. I I, I moved back here like late nineties after I left A yeah. and M Records, and uh, I booked the Linwood for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. I try not to remember my days as a booking agent because that that's not a fun job. It's just not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I I probably probably saw uh, dozens of ape hanger shows at. at at, at, uh, at the Linwood. Yeah, they were like, you know, I was working with them and they were like yeah. one of my favorite bands. Definitely yeah. anything I could do for those guys, you know, and, yeah. you know, Evan had a connection with those guys too, yeah. you know. And I'm pretty sure that you, um, I, I was around for a few more years after that before I moved away again, but I'm pretty sure you became part of the Abbey crowd. Yeah. So basically after Bosley ended in 98, and that that last show was Darkbuster and Heidi, if you remember Heidi, which was I do Janet, remember that show. I remember uh, that show. Sandy. Yeah, 
And, Sandy uh, was playing bass then. Yeah, Sandy Sandy was doing double duty and and actually Rice Edmondson was the 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 drummer in that in those very early days of it, of uh of uh Heidi cuz he was No, he's playing Wait. He was playing guitar, I guess. Yeah, he's playing guitar cuz Lisa played drums. Yeah. But anyway, uh, memory's pretty good, Jay. Your memory's pretty good. I got to <laughs> give you credit. You're remembering some things that I don't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> some things I'm I'm pretty good at at, at histories and type of things. Those kind of things kind of stick in my brain. If you're but like I, me, you remember everything that happened in '84, but you can't remember what happened last week. You know. <laughs> exactly. That's 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 sort of where we're at. You know. You know, 45 years or so of. Uh, I, 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 know, I know I saw you play solo a few times yeah. uh, at so, the Abbey Lounge, but you were yeah, in other so, bands too, weren't you? Yeah. So basically at the Abbey, I was just, uh, I was doing solo. So they, you know, I would, so basically I started around 2000 and I would just do solo acoustic shows. Didn't want to go through the hassle of keep putting a band and keeping a band together. Uh, so I, I was doing that. It was it was easier, uh, and the Abbey was like definitely a second home. You know, uh, you know, I'd either be opening up the night over, you know, and they actually built a pub stage in in the in the in the, in the room next to the bar, which, with with thinking of me and mine, because I was doing a lot of stuff there. You know, sometimes just playing on the pub stage in between every set. You know, playing like three or four songs. Yeah. While the other band, while the bands changed. <coughs> up on the stage and uh so i was a you know a big part of that you know and that was i would say you know looking back at at you know 40 40 plus years being in this rock and roll scene like like the abbey was was one of a kind in terms of just everything that went on there the, sh the shows the camaraderie the community that it was you know I feel the same way. You know, Andrea Gillis gave me a couple yeah. nights to book over there and I was doing the Tuesday night things. And then we got Sylvain Sylvain to play and I booked some weekend dates. You know, I didn't even, it's funny because I was finding these flyers and I'm like, I don't even remember booking that show. You know, it was like, you know, you, we did, the Abbey Lounge was a very comforting place to be, you know, yeah. people were all nice there, you know, Michelle was working the door, you know, I mean, it was like a really, yeah, it was I mean, family. I mean, it was in the, you know, and Nicole tomorrow, you know, did a photo book of, of the Abbey and Nicole was kind of more of the, the punk, punk rock bands that were, that were playing the Abbey at the time. Wasn't as much about the, uh, you know, like the core Abbey bands, like, you know, like, you know, Downbeat 5 and Andrea and, and, you know, uh, Melissa, Melissa's band uh, and Schnockert and all the, those kind of, you know, Muck Schnockert. on the Yeah. <laughs> they no, were the one that started the whole thing, actually. Stud, that's Melissa's band, you know, and, and, you know, she, she was a lot more into all the punk, the punk shows that were going on there. Called, you know, but, uh, but she, she did this great Abbey picture book and I kind of, I wrote a, I wrote the, she asked me to write the introduction to it. And I kind of really kind of delved into what everything that the Abbey was and, you know, the Abbey traveled too. You know, we used to do, uh, uh, we did it for four or five years and 
it was kind of thanks to Henry Marsuella from Triple Thick. Henry grew up down down in Wellfleet area, so he that's was a great band buddy. right there, yeah, Triple yeah. Thick. Yeah, so he was friendly with everybody, uh, the folks at uh, at the Beachcomber, and you know nothing much happens at the Beachcomber before the Fourth of July, so we we would do an Abbey Lounge weekend, garage weekend <laughs> at, at 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 the Beachcomber. We'd have Friday and Saturday nights. We we get like we would everyone would stay at the Mainstay Motel right on Route Six, which mm-hmm. you know you have to go down Spooky Cahoon Hollow Road road at three o'clock at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock if you if we had a bonfire on the beach that night you know and uh you know the, the hotel would be have like three guests beside and then we'd have like a hundred a hundred denizens of the abbey lounge there being up all night and, and everything it's pretty much Sounds fun. like a lot of fun to me yeah we did, we, <laughs> we did all right we had like a four or five year run that, that was uh you know and it was and it was all like abbey bands that play and we had some touring bands play come down like uh uh johnny o'halloran who was out in minneapolis at the time was was touring with nikki corvette so they were around so we brought we heard her band who've been kind of all over the world uh at one of those weekends you know plus you know the usual suspects muck and the mire dogmatics you know solo and, and actually i think but one of the first Jay Allen the Arch Criminal shows was 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 down there because the band had gotten together by then. And so I wanted but, to yeah. talk to you about actually I'm gonna fast forward a little bit here. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about the EP that you put out. I think it was on Rumba. Was it Rumba Rumbar, right? Yeah. So yeah, so uh yeah, so Arch Criminals kind of started in 07. Uh good friend Chris Chrissy Tierney. Who's, who's now with the downhalls uh had been oh, yeah. playing the killer abs and she's like she's like yeah you have a lot of good songs we should put a band together i'm tired of playing with the killer abs so we actually grabbed their their the kid that was playing drums for them and i started jail on the arch criminals in 07 and and uh we had one record that that basically you know i I just used the, the the logo of the record label I had in the nineties, Clamorama Records. And uh and and actually uh Ken Smar from uh Wonder Drug actually kinda did the, the digital release uh, of, yeah. of the record you know, Fun is fun, but you gotta be effing kidding me was was the name of that record that came out in like eleven. And then <clears throat> you know, later version of the band of fifteen. Uh, we had a single, you know, Louis, Louis, Malibu Lou Mansdorf had just started Rumbar Records. And so we had an early digital single on on there for, the, for Jay Allen, The Arch Criminals. And then uh, had a eight-song record come out in 20. And then another EP came out in December and leading up to the, the, the last single, which just came out, which I think sort of... <clears throat> It seems like a lot of people bring up the cover that you did, which is kind of cool. I think Tom Jones did the original version, right? It's not yeah, that unusual. Yeah. 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 What made you do that song? Well, I, I kind of started like, uh, so our, our good friend Dan Dan Casparillo from uh, Stop Calling Me Frank, he he does a a, a some he he hosts a Somerville Porch Fest every every year. Yeah, and. Uh, 
he has another band made kind of kind of the neighborhood dad band called the lucky 88 so you know he kind of whole, whole, whole crew that kind of live and uh they were doing that song he asked me if i wanted to sing it and i was like okay so i started singing with them like i kind of like doing this song and uh you know went to uh went to my bandmates you know uh gary robley and henry ryan and let's record it and we're recording a couple other things so we did that one as well so where did you record that ep the decriminalized uh ep so all that all that was a at Wooly Mammoth. Oh. With, because uh, uh, Q Division had, you know, was shut down as they had to relocate and, and build a whole new, a whole new uh, facility. Uh, so, and Matt Alexander, who we'd started working with, and uh, along with Rice Edmondson, uh, like Matt was behind the board and, and we, he kind of took on full, full producer role for, for that, for the decriminalized DP and the last single. So as long as he's an engineer as well as producing uh, what we're doing and, you know, he's, so we did, uh, you know, basic tracks and vocals at, at Wooly and he's got kind of a little home studio where we can do backup vocals and, you know, percussion, that kind of stuff, maybe extra, some extra guitar tracks. He, he has his own, so we kind of, kind of combo of both. Nice. Um, I want to talk to you about Justine a little bit. I, I know sure. uh, you were close to Justine as you, you knew her for a long time. You played in a yeah. band with her. Uh, you wrote a great song about her, which we played on the show not too long ago, um, which is called Sister in Crime. Um, before I ask you about that song, can you talk about your friendship with Justine and how you guys remained friends for like, yeah. what, 40 years? Yeah, 40 years. Yeah, I'm going back to this. So, you know, so... So basically, you know, and obviously we were, we were, you know, roommates too. We lived, you know, she, when, when I was like breaking up with a, a girlfriend that I was living with, she's like, we have a room open. Do you want to move in? I was, and I was like, I was around 30 at the time. And, uh, or, and I was just kind of like, it was going to be kind of a step backwards because I hadn't lived in a house with a lot of folks for, you know, for several years at that point. And, uh, but I was like, all right. And, and we had a great time for two years in her house, you know, and then, she met Crispin and they, you know, you know, it was time, it was, it was time for her to get a little more serious in life, you know, so they, you know, they moved in together, uh, shortly after she moved out of the house and, uh, you know, and they ended up getting married. And, and so she was, uh, you know, basically a wife and mother, you know, support, you know, supporting, raising a family for 20 years, but we were always in touch all the time. Uh, you know, we we would make it a point to have dinner, me, her, Janet, and, and Gay every three months or so minimum, uh, <laughs> just to kind of keep in touch and you know and everything like that. But you know, you know, all three ladies were raising families, you know, and I'm still living you know single rock and roller life. Uh, <laughs> so we're and then you know around late fifteen, she was like, Jay, I want to rock, and you know, she wanted to get, you know, was trying to get out of the house a lot, see, see, start seeing bands, start writing, start making music. And, uh, so I think it, it'll probably come up in Facebook memories in the next like, like month or so. Uh, I took her to see Royce Ludge, uh, wherever he was playing, like his regular, like kind of Sunday afternoon gigs that he, that he had. 
and she was just like, I'm so into this. This is the greatest thing ever, you know, and, and, you know, in those days it was probably Duke Levine on guitar playing, playing with Alan and, uh, you know, Johnny Shasha playing, playing bass and, uh, you know, and then she was all in and she started writing music and, and, uh, you know, I was kind of there, like, whatever you want, whatever you need, let's go to shows, what's going on, you know, and, and, uh, she, so she kind of piggybacked along and, and before you knew it, she was like, you know, was, you know, had, had this little demo, she wrote, sent me a demo of some songs she had, it was, those songs are pretty good. And I was like, hey, so I have a show on New Year's night. Uh, at Tavern and the, the world, you want to join me? She's like nervous as hell, but she's like, all right. And uh, no, that was the same day as the Winter Classic. So I've been drinking all day long watching hockey, and then I had to go <laughs> to the other world. And you know, so we play like we, we play like maybe I play like like three or four songs myself, and then we play like maybe six or eight songs, and and but we got through it and then she was all in, you know, and then about five months later, we, we started to mess around together. Me, her, me, her and Tom Baker. And we had our first one in May of 16, you know, and that, that's been going on for the last, uh, you know, seven plus years, you know, and, you know, she was always a big part of that. Inspired. There's some sort of a huge truck driving <laughs> out my, my <laughs> office window here. Yeah. Um, so the mess around, very popular. Uh, did you always do that in the same venue? No, we 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 changed. We started off the plow, and it wasn't like a regular thing. But I was getting Sunday nights at the plow, and which was in my mind was kind of like a dream gig because I spent many a Sunday night there seeing seeing whatever band had, had had sort of the residency it was kind of always kind of a goal of mine to, to get that sunday night and uh you know jim siri who's longtime chef there and book booker there still books there no longer the the chef over there speaking of triple thick yeah exactly <laughs> uh the uh the the managing owners i should say it's like say and you know the the bar has basically been owned by the same 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 guy forever but he has different people run it for him and uh <clears throat> and the i think the they've come to their senses but there was a time when they were like they wanted to do something different they thought they had to get try and pursue a younger crowd instead of the things that always worked in that in that in the plow so we kind of got the boot and they and they hired this younger young woman who was like in her mid-20s to, to book book the plow and it was pretty horrendous and after about six months of her they said jim will you please come start booking the plow again <laughs> that's, not, that's what we ended up getting back in there so we 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 were at once but once wasn't that regular and it was like we were like upstairs on a monday night and you know they were you know i mean it was it was it was it was, a, it was tough on a monday and uh uh and they were fine, but you know, we kind of they, they didn't they, they weren't paying they wouldn't pay us anything, you know. We could we could, you know, put the tip jar out and and stuff, but but we you know when when and it wasn't regular either, like we couldn't count on yeah. you know, oh we have something else going on, oh you know, there'd be you know other things and you know, that room would be empty if you know on a Monday night, there'd be no one there, there might be two people at the bar, 
if they if they even opened up, you know. So, uh, and so when Jim offered the the Sunday afternoon once a month residency, we were we were like absolutely. So we we took that. So that was that was uh, I guess I guess 2018. So you and Tom Baker are going to continue to do do it in yeah. So we you know yeah. So Messerna was always sort of my thing, but having someone as organized and committed like Justine to be part of it, like, like just to show like who she was, like she would actually be angry that we, we weren't nominated for a Boston music award for, for best residency, which wasn't a category, it's in a category this year, but it was pre pandemic. And she would be like, we should be the best residency. Ever. And I'd be like, Justine, you know, you know, you're, you're looking for a Boston Music Award for a residency for, you know, that features a guy who drinks too much vodka and sings songs about his nuts. You know, <laughs> she goes, exactly. And that's, you know, if, if that, just her being by my side and, and thinking that that's a great reason why we should be the best, we should be voted best residency. Uh, you know, I, I can, I can, I can feel Justine's angst because I know a podcaster who was a little upset that he didn't get nominated for a Boston Music Award either. Yeah. <laughs> um, you wrote you wrote uh, the song Sister in Crime. This is what I want you. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up with this. Um, can you talk about the writing and the recording process for that? And I, it, it seemed like it yeah. happened fairly quickly, but with a 40 year <laughs> friendship, it's probably yeah. not hard to think of things to write. Right. Yeah, so there was there was definitely some, uh, I mean, and I'll be honest, I'm not a productive songwriter who sits down and finish writes a song and finishes it like in a short amount of time. That's never been the way I, I kind of operate. You know, mostly it's it's lazy because there's a certain element of songwriting that's you know stick your butt in the chair and and force yourself to 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 keep working on it, and uh, and I that's not usually how I do things. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously I had a lot of, you know, a lot of emotion. It was, you know, and I kind of committed to myself that I, I, you know, we had a mess around schedule for basically 10 days after she passed. And, uh, and Tom and I made the decision to, to, to keep, to keep going with it. You know, we, had, and that was, going to literally be our, our seventh anniversary party. So, and, you know, we made the decision. And I, and I, to myself, I was like, I want to have this song ready. <clears throat> and I, so I kind of, I, I wrote it and, you know, and obviously to me, the songs kind of, uh, kind of describes what I thought of her as a person, who we were, and how and how much she had uh my back all through the years and you know how supportive she was and for me and uh and also you know the loss you know we can't believe this is happening you know and, yeah and, and and the one thing that that really kind of blew my mind was being on the inside with her, you know, and just having her being my 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 friend, my very dear friend, I kind of didn't was blind or oblivious 
to the community that she created, you know, with, with red on red records, you know, and, and to me, I was, I was kind of blown away. Like, and, and I never really thought about what other people thought about my relationship with her. And that came out like, like gangbusters and, you know, you know, the amount of, you know, condolences I received, you know, I, if I was out and about the amount of, uh, you know, people were just hugging me saying they were, they were sorry. And I was like, well, I, I was, I was really blown away by the whole thing. And, uh, and I think that sort of helped get the song done. And, uh, and there is one lyric in the song, like, and I, and it kind of tells a story, a little, a little tale of, 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 of our friendship in that, uh, Many, many years ago, probably going back to the Malachite house days, Justine comes up to me and she says, Jay, am I a handful? And, and I just kind of looked at her and I go, handful? You're a boxful. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. and I was, and so one of the first demos that she sent me, she wrote this song that's on the first unclean record called uh, Worry Stone. And she sort of took that line and used it in the song. And I was just kind of listening to the song. It wasn't, you know, just kind of, it was just kind of on uh, in the background. I wasn't like intently listening to it, like I'm studying it or anything like that. It was, it was just on, all of a sudden that line, she, you know, something about you, you're, you're more than a handful. You couldn't fit in the box. I was just like, holy shit. She remembered <laughs> that, that like throwaway snarky comment I made 30 years ago to her and put it in the song. So I was like, I have to put. Uh, I I wanted to make sure that 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 line was sort of a tribute to to a lyric that she that she had written based on something that I had said to her thirty years ago. So that was part of the song. And then, well, it was a beautiful song, and the tribute was fantastic. I I had an amazing time there. I don't. I mean, I, I guess a group of people all put that together, and you guys yeah. did a great job. And all the bands were. were it was just a. I didn't know, I knew, just, you know, Justine was on my show and yeah. we've talked a lot. She would, she was one of the best communicators that I dealt with at labels. She was always sending me emails and messages and I loved working with her. And I was really, really sad, uh, like everyone else, see her go. That's, it was really a credit to her daughter, Haley, who was 24, obviously suffered, you know, uh, you know, incredible traumatic loss, you know, and all of a sudden she was confronted with, you know, here's this community that my mother had created that I don't know what to do. But Haley did everything herself. You know, she always had, you know, myself, her father, Tom Baker, Janet to rely on to help her. But she she got the venue because she used to work at Somerville Theater when she was, in, you know, in high school, college. So she knew she knew the folks over there. Uh you know, she, she made the decisions on the bands, you know, so, you know, so, you know, getting her father to play wasn't, wasn't difficult, you know, cause, uh, you know, and so it was, you know, all, all over, it was an amazing evening. The amount of people that, uh, came up to me and were, loved her band, the Crokes. No, oh, they were great. They were I can't great. tell you like how many people like, you know, especially kind of a, a different, different vein than, than what you were seeing that night, you know, mostly, you know, hard rock and that, and that kind of stuff. They were, you know, a little quirkier, but everyone loved them. So, you know, uh, 
they're on band camp. And I still haven't made I, – I, I still have, you know, want to sit down and kind of write all my thoughts out on, on the show itself, which I thought was pretty magical. And, you know, the spirit of her in that room that night was – was pretty amazing and you know i was kind of blown away too by like all all the singers on red on red who you know joined forces with the unclean and michelle morgan building on guitar uh with them to sing her songs i thought was was amazing you know they, they really channeled her energy you know and her her ferocity that's that's there in a lot of those songs you know it was it was it was Definitely magical. Um, Jay, thanks a lot, man, for taking oh, the time. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to me. You spin my yarns. <laughs> All right, man. Take care of yourself. All right, you too. Thanks, Steve.
The rock and roll just never ends. Justine and the Unclean with the song Sweet Denial from the album The Signal Light, released on June 2nd, just one week before singer-songwriter, guitarist Justine Koval passed away on June 9th. Very sad. Justine, of course, was also the head of Red on Red Records. Uh, Jay Allen had a lot to say about Justine, who we met and uh, played with in the late 80s. Uh, They're friends for years and years. It's been months, uh, but we're still shocked by Justine's passing. Thankfully, we can still listen to her music and think fondly of her. Okay, please consider supporting this show on our Patreon page at patreon.com. Uh, forward slash Twisted Rico. You can also subscribe directly on Spotify. You can reach me anytime at twistedrico at gmail.com, or you can also reach us at Blowing Smoke with TR on Instagram. We have a Facebook page, a YouTube page where you can watch the interview, the Zoom interview that Jay Allen and I just did, and also our TikTok page where we're getting a lot of, lot of steam happening over there lately. I'll tell you some good clips. Check it out. It's at Twisted Rico. Uh, that's going to do it for this time folks so till the next time we say goodbye this is blowing smoke with twisted rico i'm your host steve ricardo keep the rock and roll alive